This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Guidelines and Tips for Disclosure and Apology Conversations by Dr. Elaine Meyer in collaboration with the Institute for Professionalism and Ethical Practice. Introduction Hello, my name is Elaine Meyer. I'm a nurse and clinical psychologist and director of the Institute for Professionalism and Ethical Practice at Boston Children's Hospital. I'd like to offer some guidelines and helpful tips for disclosure and apology conversations after errors and adverse events. In this activity, you will follow a sequence of short videos that will help you think through how to prepare for and conduct challenging conversations. In this activity, I will talk through the first priorities to consider when an error or adverse event has occurred, how to prepare for a disclosure conversation with the patient or family, guidance on how to conduct conversations, and follow-up and documentation steps to take after the conversations. Finally, I will offer some general tips for you to consider as you approach disclosure conversations. You can also find a copy of guidelines and tips for disclosure conversations in the resource section to review and print out. First Priorities To start, let's discuss some first priorities when an error or adverse event has occurred. Assure that the clinical team stays attentive to the medical needs of the patient. Also, assure that key individuals are notified and involved as soon as possible. And contact an institutional coach for a meeting to plan disclosure. These first priorities remind us that when an error or adverse event occurs, clinicians may withdraw from the patient's clinical needs because they are worried about the patient's response, or they may be preoccupied with the implications of the event for themselves. It's most important for you to stay connected to what the patient needs. Also, informing and involving others in your institution is essential, as is getting support for yourself from a coach someone with knowledge and experience of disclosure within your institution who can help prepare you for the disclosure conversation. Preparing for the Disclosure Conversation Now, let's think about preparing for the disclosure conversation. A first step is to identify a trusted coach or resource person from your institution you can turn to for advice and then review the event with him or her. The coach should gather information about the event from all the clinicians involved. And the coach should guide the team to determine if the event meets the threshold for disclosure. There are some helpful rules of thumb to determine whether the event should be disclosed. First, ask yourself, would you want to know about the event if it had happened to you or a loved one? And second, determine if the event has or may result in a change in the patient's treatment plan. If the answer to either of these questions is yes, then disclosure to the patient or family is needed. Once you've decided that disclosure is needed and start to prepare for the conversation, remember, this meeting should be about the safety and benefit of the patient and family. 
discuss the need for the team to present themselves in a sincere, unified, and professional manner. We need to remember that the meeting with the patient and family is for their benefit, and it's not the time for the team members to debate about the event. Avoid blaming others. For example, saying the lab always does this or blaming the system. Determine which clinician should be present for the initial conversation and assess who should be available for support to the patient and family. Decide which clinician should open and lead the conversation and agree on the core information that should be communicated. In most cases, the attending physician will lead the conversation even if he or she was not directly involved in the event. In some cases, however, others, such as a nurse, may be the best person. If any team member is too emotionally upset or not capable of making a positive contribution to the conversation, their involvement should be deferred until later. It's most important to think about what you will say to the patient or family about what has happened. Honestly share the facts of the situation as they are known with the patient and family. But resist the temptation to speculate beyond what you know for certain at this point. Also, speak with the coach and the team beforehand to anticipate potential questions and emotional reactions from the patient and family and how you might respond. For example, they might want a different doctor or nurse for their care going forward or they may have concerns about who's gonna pay for this additional treatment. Anticipating the patient's and family's needs and being prepared ahead of time, even practicing the conversation and role play can be very helpful. Lastly, some important practical points as you consider. Determine an optimal time and setting for the conversation and decide who will take primary responsibility for follow-up with the patient and family. The initial conversation should occur as soon as possible after the event is discovered, usually within a few hours and nearly always within a day. Choose a location that is free from distractions where the conversation can unfold naturally without interruptions. And follow-up afterwards is essential to begin to restore trust and confidence in the providers. We really want to get this right. The conversation with the patient and family. Above all, when having a disclosure conversation, clinicians should genuinely express themselves as empathic and caring human beings. It is important to be yourself and to let your humanity come through. Being able to put yourself in the patient's shoes and empathize makes a big difference. Be attentive to the patient and family response and adapt the conversation based on their needs and priorities. It is always appropriate to acknowledge the patient's situation and suffering and to convey empathy. We're so sorry that this has happened. This must be so upsetting for you and your family. But apologies can fail if they seem insincere, if they minimize the problem, or if they take the focus off of the patient or the family's experience. Saying things such as, these things happen to the best of people, or the mistake did not change the outcome, or even lucky for us, you're fine, are not helpful and can cause further upset and injury. Genuine empathy for what the patient and family are experiencing and the intention to set things right are essential. From this foundation of taking the patient and family perspective 
and showing empathy, clinicians should set the agenda for the meeting with the patient and family, clearly state the facts as they are known at the present, and express the appropriate form of apology and or regret. Patients deserve accurate information about what has happened to them, but remember to be careful not to speculate beyond the facts that are known at the time. Initial impressions about how the facts might fit together can be incomplete and sometimes wrong. Once the facts have been shared, clinicians are encouraged to express the appropriate form of regret and apology. Expressions of regret and empathy for what the patient and family are experiencing are always recommended and appropriate. Expressions of personal or institutional responsibility for any adverse event should only be made when the facts clearly indicate that the adverse event was a consequence of medical error. And assure the patient and family that they will be told the facts as they become known. It is also important that in the conversation you also emphasize how the patient is being cared for and what will happen going forward. Explain what is being done to help the patient now and the plan for care going forward. Assess whether the existing clinical relationships can be maintained and assure the patient and family that the event will be thoroughly reviewed and investigated. As the conversation comes to a close, make sure to review what is needed by the patient and the family and plan how it will be provided. Consider whether trust with the existing care team can be repaired and upheld, or whether it might be better for other clinicians to assume care. The family may not be comfortable raising this issue, so it is important for us as the team to bring it up. Assess what other supports the patient and family might need. For example, would support from social workers or chaplains be helpful? If the issue of financial stress or financial compensation arises, acknowledge this honestly and explain the team will connect the family with somebody who can knowledgeably address these issues. Remember that disclosure conversations are difficult. Although disclosure of errors and adverse events is the right thing to do, you may not be greeted with thanks or forgiveness from the patient or family. Rebuilding the trust and relationship takes time but it is well worth the effort. These conversations, when done well, are good for the patients and families, but they're also good for clinicians. Follow-up and documentation. After the conversation with the patient and family, whenever possible, bring the team together to debrief. We suggest that the coach listen to how the conversation went, and check in with the clinicians to assess their emotional and psychological needs and to offer support. Help arrange for temporary relief from clinical duties if at all possible, offer emotional support and peer support, and make any referrals that might be helpful. Finally, make sure that you document the conversation in the patient's medical record. It is important to include a summary of the facts surrounding the event, a summary of the disclosure conversation, what the next steps are and the plan going forward, and who on the team is responsible for the follow-through. Advice from the coach should not be documented in the medical record. The record is for communication about the patient's treatment. The purpose of the coaching is to provide support for the staff. General Tips 
I hope these guidelines will serve as a helpful roadmap as you and your team approach and navigate these difficult conversations. Remember, you are not alone. As a reminder, you can find the detailed guidelines and tips to review in the resources section. The goal is to balance these guidelines with who you are as a person and to be sure that your own humanity comes through in your conversations. Honest, timely information and expressing regret in the appropriate form of apology are essential. Patients and families want to know what is being done to address the situation now and what will be done to prevent future errors and adverse events. Also, as clinicians, make sure that you take advantage of the coaching and consultation that are available in your setting. Get to know and follow your own institution's processes on disclosure. And remember, disclosure is a process. It's not merely a one-time conversation. Through genuine, thoughtful conversations, hopefully the road to reestablishing and rebuilding trust and moving forward can begin. Reflective Exercise Please post your responses on the comments board for this video so that others may learn from them.